Welcome to Barons and Bond Podcast, episode 33, with your one and only host, Corey Berenson. Today, we do not have Diego. I know you want that charismatic, beautiful kid to be on here, so if you want to hear his awesome voice, this one is not for you. There's a couple reasons why I won't have his beautiful presence with me. I'm going to be covering Grain Brain, the book by David Perlmutter, Dr. David Perlmutter. I finished this a couple weeks ago, and I've been waiting to go over it with Diego, and I've been debating whether or not to have him on here, number one, because I'm going to read a lot of it. Not the whole thing. This is not an audiobook, but I did highlight quite a bit of it. And so, one, I thought that might bore him to tears, for one. And number two, it's a thing where I try and ride the line where I don't want to run the risk of potentially causing any type of food complex or worry or additional concern. I do want him to know that eating healthy and being healthy is extremely important starting from the get-go, from when you're young in life to whenever you decide to start taking better care of yourself, start eating better foods, and know that it's not some sort of crazy thing that transcends and immediately changes your body and you you know a cape gets on you and you start flying your car transforms into a car you got transformers and robots all over it's not that it's it's this slow steady thing that you just do all the time and you start feeling better so i for the main thing for me is why why eat well why try and be healthier why do any of it why? So when I got here to Texas five years ago, as you know, I wasn't that healthy. Started eating healthier little by little. It's one thing at a time. This is five years of evolution. It's one little change, one little notch, and then you rotate that into your life. One more little thing, and then you rotate that in. You learn a little more than one little thing. This is, it is not a, hey, flip the script. Everything's different now. So everything I've done is slowly, little by little, over time, learn something, implement that, get that in the rotation and the regularity, and I feel better. So what is the big difference? Am I super swole? Yes. Do I look exactly like The Rock? Yes, of course I do. These, you know, those are just basic side effects. Can I pick up a car? Yeah, sure. Of course. It's minor changes. So I used to only be able to pick up remote control cars. I'm almost up to semis. You see where I'm going with this? You know what I'm saying. So yes, it's little, small, incremental changes. But once you learn something to not use it in any form or fashion is basically a waste in my opinion. I I should be able to implement something from each book I read and find a way to use that going forward. That's my goal, that's my mission. Do I always do it? Uh, Obviously not, but I definitely get at least one thing in there and over time. So, okay, five years ago, did I exercise? Not really. Now, it's every day or every other day. No, it's not a marathon, so you're talking 30, 40 minutes tops. That's it. Just do it all the time. It's something that's not going to destroy me and make me not able to do it again. 
It's my, it's heavy enough, but not crazy enough. It's got to be able to do it. I got to be able to do it every day. So that's where I keep the workout. Eating all this food allows my energy levels to be high. And that's what I really want. The other thing is getting better is a slow process, just like getting worse is also a slow process and you don't realize till you really look back at yourself say hey where was I five years where am I at now and I'm just trying to maximize brain health because obviously I'm not the smartest dude I'm not passing Mensa qualified genius skill tests yet maybe tomorrow might feel good might feel pretty good but I am more energetic I am stronger I am more awake, I am learning more, and I attribute that really to diet. Oddly enough, I really wouldn't think that would be the case, but I do think it is. Why? Also, why do it? Because, hey, got the kids. I want to do stuff. I want to have fun. Let's dumb it. Let's simplify it. Walking, hiking. Kayaking, traveling, roller coasters, jumping off cliffs into water, which we have in Austin, and are and is super fun. That's why I work out. That's why I eat what I eat. And it's just, you know, just a little bit better, just a little bit all the time. That's, you know, moderate. Now, let's get into the nitty-gritty, just like Nacho Libre says. So, again, the book I'm reading from is Grain Brain. By Dr. David Perlmutter, he does have a site with a lot more information. And the big thing about this book is I really want to know more than just, hey, carbs are bad. That ain't going to do it. So let's read. Go into the book. There's three main sections. First main section is part one, the whole grain truth. Part two, grain brain rehab. Part three, say goodbye to Grain Brain. Actually, I want to read the very little tiny note at the beginning. To my father, who at nine, who at age 96 begins each day by getting dressed to see his patients, despite having retired more than a quarter century ago. I'm here to tell you that the fate of your brain is not in your genes. It's not inevitable. And if you're someone who suffers from another type of brain disorder, such as chronic headaches, depression, epilepsy, or extreme moodiness, the culprit may not be encoded in your DNA. It's in the food you eat. In fact, if there's one thing this book clearly demonstrates, it's that many of our illnesses that involve the brain share common denominators. Anyone who's already been diagnosed with high cholesterol and prescribed a statin will be in for a rude awakening. I'm going to explain what's really going on in your body and tell you how to remedy this condition easily, deliciously, and without drugs. In compelling detail, backed by science, I'll put a new spin on the topic of inflammation showing you that in order to control this potentially deadly biochemical reaction that lies at the heart of brain disease, not to mention all of our degenerative illnesses from head to toe, 
your diet will need to change. Okay, I'm just grabbing these sentences in order before we get into some heavy stuff. Self-assessment. On a positive note, this means we can consciously prevent disorders of our nervous system and even cognitive decline much in the way we can stave off heart disease by eating right and getting our exercise. The science now tells us, in fact, that many of our brain-related illnesses from depression to dementia are closely related to our nutritional and lifestyle choices. Yes, I highlighted stuff that repeats itself because if anybody's like me, you got to hear it 900,022 times. Okay, now it's going to go into a questionnaire and I was at first not going to read all of it, but I am. So get ready. The goal of this questionnaire below is to gauge your risk factors for current neurological problems, which can manifest in migraines, seizures, mood and movement disorders, sexual dysfunction, ADHD, as well as for serious mental decline in the future. Respond to these statements as honestly as possible. Don't think about the connections to brain disease implied by my statements. Just respond truthfully. All right, there's 20 of these. You just answer true or false and take a little number and count of them. Number one, I eat bread any of, of any kind. Two, I drink fruit juice any kind. Three, I, may, I have more than one serving of fruit a day. Four, I choose agave over sugar. Five, I get out of breath on my daily walk. Six, my cholesterol is below 150. Seven, I have diabetes. Eight, I am overweight. Nine, I eat rice or pasta of any kind. Ten, I drink milk. Eleven, I don't exercise regularly. Twelve, neurological conditions run in my family. Thirteen, I don't take a vitamin D supplement. Fourteen, I eat a low-fat diet. Fifteen, I take a statin. 16. I avoid high cholesterol foods. 17. I drink soda, diet or regular. 18. I don't drink wine. 19. I drink beer. 20. I eat cereal of any kind. A perfect score on this test would be a whopping zero quote-unquote true answers. If you answer true to one question, your brain and your entire nervous system is at greater risk for disease and disorder than if you scored a zero. If you scored more than a 10, you're putting yourself in the hazard zone for serious neurological ailments that can be prevented. So for example, for me, I said true at choosing agave over sugar and that 12 that neurological conditions run in my family. So yes, I was scared and thinking, hey, it's in my family. I'm going to lose some brain capacity no matter what. But this book proves otherwise. I like that. Okay, moving on into the chapter about gluten. And then it dips into all carbs later. So don't be scared. This isn't a whole gluten celiac situation. But it is important. 
Let me share with Dr. Rodney Ford of the Children's Gastroenterology, Gastroenterology and Allergy Clinic in New Zealand proposed in his 2009 article aptly titled The Gluten Syndrome, a Neurological Disease. The fundamental problem with gluten is its interference with the body's neural networks. Gluten is linked to neurological harm in patients, both with and without evidence of celiac. He added evidence points to the nervous system as the prime site of gluten damage, as he boldly concluded that the implication of gluten causing neurologic network damage is immense. With estimates that at least 1 in 10 people are affected by gluten, the health impact is enormous. Remember, at the heart of virtually every disorder and disease is inflammation. When we introduce anything to the body that triggers an inflammatory response, we set ourselves up for taking on much greater risk for a medley of health challenges, from chronic daily nuances like headaches and brain fog to serious ailments such as depression and Alzheimer's. We can even make a case for linking gluten sensitivity with some of the most mysterious brain disorders that have eluded doctors for millennia, such as schizophrenia, epilepsy, depression, bipolar disorder, and more recently, autism and ADHD. Pretty crazy, right? That's what I said. Okay. When I watch people devour loot, uh, let me start that over. When I watch people devour gluten-laden carbohydrates, it's like watching them pour themselves a cocktail of gasoline. Gluten is our generation's tobacco. Gluten sensitivity is far more prevalent than we realize, potentially harming all of us to some degree without our, no without our knowing it. And gluten is hiding where you least suspect it. It's in our seasonings, condiments, cocktails, cosmetics, hand cream, ice cream, it's disguised in soups, sweeteners, soy products. It's tucked into our nutritional supplements and brand name pharmaceuticals. The term quote unquote gluten free is becoming just as vague and diluted as organic and all natural have become. For me, it's no longer a mystery why going gluten free can have such a positive impact on the body. We've known for more than 30 years that wheat increases blood sugar more than table sugar, but we still somehow think that's not possible. It seems counterintuitive, but it's a fact that few foods produce as much of a surge in blood glucose as those made with wheat. There, next to this is a massive list of signs of gluten sensitivity. I will not read them all. There is also a giant list called the gluten police and it lists where they hide within foods and other products that we use day to day. Okay, chapter three, attention carboholics and fat phobics. Surprising truths about your brain's real enemies and lovers. All right. Yes, I highlighted this part for sure. Gluten isn't the only villain. You need to factor in another big piece of the equation. Carbs versus fats. Fun, right? You've heard this a thousand times, but now you can learn a little more. I know, I know. I've heard this before. Okay, sure. All right. 
This chapter should make you rejoice. I'm going to rescue you from a lifetime of trying to avoid eating fat and cholesterol and prove how these delicious ingredients preserve the highest functioning of your brain. We've developed a taste for fat for good reason. It's our brain's secret love. Unfortunately, most of us equate the idea of eating fat to being fat, when in reality, obesity and its metabolic consequences has almost nothing to do with dietary fat consumption and everything to do with our addiction to carbs. The same is true about cholesterol. Eating high cholesterol foods has no impact on our actual cholesterol levels and the alleged correlation between high cholesterol and higher cardi cardiac risk is an absolute fallacy. Okay, now it steps on to the oh-so-many omegas. Which ones are good? We hear so much these days about omega-3 and omega-6 fats. Overall, omega-6 fats fall under the bad fat category. They're somewhat pro-inflammatory and there's evidence that higher consumption of these fats is related to brain disorders. Unfortunately, the American diet is extremely high in omega-6 fats, which are found in many vegetable oils. Today, we consume 10 to 25 times more omega-6 fats than evolutionary norms, and we've dramatically reduced our intake of healthy, brain-boosting omega-3 fats. There's a big list of different oils, and it lists their omega-6 versus omega-3 amounts. So I just said, okay, let's find the one with the most omega-3 and the lowest omega-6. Pretty straightforward from what I just read. Fish is zero omega-6 and 100% omega-3s. Since I personally don't eat much fish, I looked for the vegetable option, which is flaxseed oil. Only 14% omega-6 and 57% omega-3s. I had no idea. This is the biggest change that I made is I immediately ordered some flaxseed oil, take it every day, and lo and behold, vegans and vegetarians are supposed to be eating flaxseed oil every day. Okay, wadata, there it is. An introduction is made. Seafood is a wonderful source of omega-3 fatty acids and even wild meat like beef, lamb, venison, buffalo. They contain this fabulous fat. But a caveat to consider, if the animals are fed grains, such as corn or soybeans, then they will not have adequate omega-3 in their diets and their meat will be deficient in these vital nutrients. This is another reason for looking for grass-fed and grass-finished beef and wild-caught fish. Beyond dementia, other neurological issues have been associated with low fat intake and cholesterol levels in particular. They found that the people who did not suffer from dementia had much better memory function if they had higher levels of cholesterol. The conclusion of the report crisply stated, high cholesterol is associated with better memory function. Parkinson's disease is also strongly related to low levels of cholesterol. Researchers in the Netherlands 
wrote in the American Journal of Epidemiology, did a report in 2006, demonstrating high, higher serum levels of total cholesterol were associated with a significantly decreased risk of Parkinson's. In fact, a more recent research in 2008, published in the journal Movement Disorders, showed that people with the lowest LDL, the so-called bad cholesterol, were at increased risk for Parkinson's just by 350%. So here's another part I went bananas highlighting, but we'll get through this page, but I basically highlighted these two pages, and you will see why. The, fundam the fundamental role of LDL in the brain is so is to capture life-giving cholesterol, transport it to the neuron where it performs critically important functions. As we have now seen, when cholesterol levels are low, the brain simply doesn't work well, and individuals are at a significantly increased risk for neurological problems as a consequence. But a caveat... Once free radicals damage LDL, it's rendered much less capable of delivering cholesterol to the brain. In addition to oxidation, destroying the LDL's function, sugar can also render it dysfunctional by binding to it and accelerating oxidation. So what's it saying? The quote-unquote, the bad cholesterol, the LDL, the Diablo of LDL is actually converted from the beautiful saint with wings by the mean, mean sugar turning it against ourselves. That's what I hear. That's what the, that's a huge takeaway for me. That's why I said it before and I went kind of crazy when the boys are here talking about inflammation, but this is the slow explanation of that. So hence, back to the book, we should do everything we can do to reduce the risk of LDL oxidation not necessarily levels of LDL. A principal player in the risk of oxidation is high levels of glucose. LDL is far more likely to become oxidized in the presence of sugar molecules that will bind to it and change its shape. LDL is not the enemy. The problems occur when a high-carbohydrate diet yields oxidized LDL and an increased risk of Atherosclerosis. I always mess up that word. Arth ar Let's do this. Atherosclerosis. Atherosclerosis. Anyways, make fun of me. I don't can't say that one. You know what I'm talking about. In addition, if and when LDO becomes glycosylated, if and when LDO becomes a glycosylated molecule, it cannot present cholesterol to brain cells and brain function suffers. Boom. How do you like that? The diet heart hypothesis that suggests that a high intake of fat or cholesterol causes heart disease has been repeatedly shown to be wrong and yet for some complicated reasons of pride, profit, prejudice, the hypothesis continues to be exploited by scientists, fundraising enterprise, food companies, and even governmental agencies. The public is being deceived by the greatest health scam of the century. 
Nothing could be further from the truth than the myth that if we lower our cholesterol levels, we might have a greater chance of living longer and healthier lives. Yeah, don't get mad at me. Y'all can read this book too. Ah. Okay, the 60-year reign of the low-fat, high-carb diet will end. There hasn't been a published study in the last 30 years that has unequivocally demonstrated that lowering serum cholesterol by eating a low-fat, low-cholesterol diet prevents or reduces heart attack or death rate. One of the many ways in which grains and carbs set fire to the brain is through surges in blood sugar. And this is what has a direct negative effect on the brain that in turn starts the inflammatory cascade. High blood sugar triggers a reaction called glycation. In the simplest terms, glycation is the biological process whereby glucose, proteins, and certain fats become tangled together causing tissues and cells to become stiff and inflexible, including those in the brain. More specifically, sugar molecules and brain proteins combine to create deadly new structures that contribute more than any other factor to the degeneration of the brain and its functioning. Sounds like a bad party. In neurological terms, glycation can contribute to the shrinking of critical brain tissue so yeah i get kind of crazy about worrying about sugar well now you know why and another thing is the more i learn this stuff it's it is it is like difficult to just watch the ingesting of bad stuff and the kids do their own thing this is we're off chart this is another reason why i didn't want diego on here i didn't want him to Feel bad about it. We're going to have fun. Yeah, we have a little sugar here and there, but I really pay attention to just minimize it every corner and crack that you can. All right, following a big chart, even being pre-diabetic when blood sugar issues are just beginning is associated with the decline in brain function and shrinkage of the brain's memory center. It is also an independent risk factor for full-blown Alzheimer's. Moving on. There are some giant charts. I got to this page and found it very high as I think we all have family members taking statins. We know who they are. And just like anybody... We need to, you want to watch more what they eat, but if they're on it, this might speak to you. Back to the book. More than, they did a study with more than 160,000 postmenopausal women recognizing that type 2 diabetes is a powerful risk factor for Alzheimer's, a relationship between statins and cognitive decline or cognitive dysfunction is certainly understandable. As I've just detailed, cholesterol plays a vital role in the brain, enabling communication between neurons and encouraging the growth of new brain cells. In an ironic twist, the statin industry advertises its products 
by saying that they interfere with cholesterol production in the brain as well as in the liver. I'm going to say that again. Cholesterol plays a vital role in the brain, enabling communication between neurons and encouraging the growth of new brain cells. Got it? In the ironic twist, the statin industry advertises its products saying they interfere with cholesterol production in the brain and the liver. How about that? And it's citing Dr. Yonkon Shin in an interview that he did in Science Daily. If He says, if you deprive cholesterol from the brain, then you directly affect the machinery that triggers the release of neurotransmitters. He did a study that shows there's a direct link between cholesterol and the neurotransmitter release, and we know exactly the molecular mechanics of what happens in the cells. Cholesterol changes the shape of the proteins to stimulate thinking and memory. I'm going to skip this. There's a big highlighted section. I just read all that. There's a big there's a question, is there such a thing as dangerously high cholesterol? Good question. I'll read it. Cholesterol is at most a minor player in coronary heart disease and represents an extremely poor predictor of heart attack risk. Over half of all patients hospitalized by a heart attack have cholesterol levels in the normal range. The idea that aggressively lowering cholesterol will somehow magically and dramatically reduce heart attack risk has now been fully and categorically refuted. The biggest risk factors for heart attack include smoking, excess alcohol consumption, lack of aerobic exercise, overweight, and a high-carb diet. Goes on to, we're skipping a bunch of chapters down to not a fruitful union. So this this spoke to me because this triggered my shift five years ago was I got a real high triglyceride read. And this says, as an aside, elevated triglyceride levels are also a hallmark of too many carbs in a diet. And I thought, what was I beating back in the day? Oh yeah, whatever I wanted. So there you go. If you modify the traditional Mediterranean diet by removing all gluten-containing foods and limiting sugary fruits and non-gluten carbs, you have yourself the perfect grain-brain-free diet. There's another chapter called Brain Drain. I don't think I need to go into that. You get the idea. There is a big list of Menu choices, explanations of where you can get omega-3s, how to replace the grains that have that. Food options, seasonings, condiments to dig into. Um, The benefits of sleep are enhanced. And let's wrap this baby up here. Congratulations. You've learned more about the habits of a highly effective brain than most practicing doctors today. 
If you haven't already begun to change a few things in your life based on what you've read, now is your chance. In this section of the book, you will follow a four-week program during which you'll shift your diet from relying on carbs and rehabilitate your body back to optimal health. This will be the place where you feel vibrant, energetic, and mentally sharp. It's also where any doctor who examines your blood work will applaud you for having excellent control of your blood sugar, inflammatory markers, and even cholesterol level. It's the place we dream of being, and it's much closer than you think. Any last things I want to share with you? Oh, let's see. What is a... I'll just throw some names out from the menu. Because all this talk about delicious food, coconut oil omelet, Gruyere and goat cheese frittata, huevos rancheros, oatless oatmeal, quick crunchy cereal, lemon chicken, chardonnay baked fish, succulent short ribs, let's see, breakfast, sea salt minestrone, there's just a few options. But you see the overarching angle of this book. I encourage you to read it. He has a great site. And thanks for listening to me. Sorry Diego wasn't here. We'll get that kid back soon. He's really getting into graffiti, so I think we're going to try to get a graffiti artist here, bomb the back fence, and have some fun doing that. So take care, everybody. Do what you got to do, what you already know you're supposed to do, and we'll continue and be back here soon. Take care. Be healthy, y'all.